looking at a series of uh, letters to the churches that um, were uh, in the time that the book of Revelation was written. And these churches were in the first century, and uh, they were a mixed bag of churches. And Jesus, uh, through the apostle John, gave him a vision, and, and John's vision was to specifically write to each of these churches. And um, what we're finding as we go through and unpack each of the letters is that Jesus can see everything that's going on. Nothing's hidden from him, and he, he critiques the churches, and he says good things about them, and he says things about them that you really wouldn't want to hear. Um, and so we're seeing that some of the churches Jesus praised and said, look, you guys are great. You're really persevering. You're doing well. And yet other churches, he said, you know, I have some things against you. And we're looking at seven letters to seven churches. We've looked at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. Ephesus was the church that lost its first love, was doing a lot of things, but there was no love involved in it, which was really sad and tragic. The church at Smyrna was a little church and it was being persecuted from outside very strongly, and yet they were standing strong, and Jesus really commended them for their hard attitude. The church at Pergamon was a church that, um, that compromised the truth, and Jesus came along and said, look, you believe some things that are right and true, but others you've, you've got contaminated in your thinking, and you need to clean that doctrine up. And today we're going to look at the church at Thyatira, which was a corrupt church. Uh, a really sad letter, this one. You wouldn't want to open the mailbox and get this letter to the church. And it's, it's a little bit like this. If I was to say to you, I've got a little bit of poison for you to drink this morning, you'd go, well, I'm not touching that. A little bit of poison's dangerous. And what happened in the life of this church was a little bit of poison got in. And it, it really contaminated the whole church and became a place where God was really upset with the, what was happening in this in this church, and it was like a slow suicide. Gradually, it ate away at their doctrine and their theology, and they were compromising all sorts of beliefs and practices. And Jesus steps in and says, "Well, I'm going to deal with this." To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write: These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That's a good rap sheet. Nevertheless, <laughs> that's the word you don't want to hear. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. But her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent for her immorality but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. 
Just as I have received authority from my Father in heaven, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So even though this letter was written to a church in a specific context almost 2,000 years ago, what Jesus is saying, whoever has ears, listen, there's things to be learnt from this letter to this church. And what we're finding is that of the seven churches that were written, somehow Catalyst Church will fit into one of those seven or parts of those seven. Every church today on the face of the planet can learn from these letters. There's no perfect church out there. And so we need to be in an attitude of God, teach us. Show us if there's any wicked way in us. Show us if we've got off track. Show us if our love's grown cold. Show us if we look like we're alive, but on the inside we're dead. So it's, it's, these are not easy letters to look at. But in a sense, God is so gracious that in that every time there's a problem, he says, you can get back to where you should be. So his grace and his mercy flows. But what we notice first up and foremost about this letter is that this is not Jesus with the flowing robe, the nice gentle lamb of God. You know, this is Jesus, the fiery, fiery eyed, burning bronzed feet Jesus. This is a warrior. This is a God who is not going to tolerate sin forever and a day. There's a, there's a sense in which Jesus is really saying, look, this is a serious stuff and it needs to be dealt with. Now, Thyatira of the seven towns is the least significant. It's the smallest and there's not much about it that's very important in terms of geographic things. It was the littlest of the towns and it was set between two great big big hills. So there was a valley that you had to pass through to go through Thyatira and out the other side. So it's a little bit like Gundagai on the way to Sydney. It's one of those towns where you just go through. It wasn't known for a lot except for the dog who sits on the tucker box. So the only thing that was really significant there was that the Roman garrison had set up there because they guarded the valley. That was really the main significant part of this town. And one other thing, they were known for trading. Trading in fine purple robe. It was like a wool cloth that they dyed with... Um, it's like an extract from a shellfish and they had this royal purple, rich royal purple. So you know when Jesus was, was killed and they cast lots for his purple robe, it would have probably come from Thyatira because they were known for that purple robe. And in the book of Acts, we know that Paul came across a lady called Lydia uh, and she was known for trading in this. So, so Thyatira was a trade town. And as a result of that trade town, they had lots of guilds. Now a guild is like a, uh, it's like a political, social commerce thing all put together the only thing that i could explain it is like is freemasonry because you had to belong to the guild to be able to trade and if you didn't belong to the guild then you were ostracized so there was great pressure to be part of the union the union of the wool fabric dyers or the union of the the you know the leather workers or whatever every one of the trades in thyatira had a guild associated to it now that sounds all right on the outside but those guilds were now mixed up with pagan rituals. And so they would sacrifice, every one of these guilds would have a pagan god and they would sacrifice meat to these idols and then they would eat the meat. Or after the party, after the gathering, sexual orgies would happen. And, and, and so for a Christian who had to survive, like had to make a living, had to put food on their table, there was this real compromise because the moment you joined the guild, 
you compromised your ethics in Christ. And so this was a hard place to be a Christian. And so Jesus is riding into this town. And these guilds had a great monopoly over what was happening. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. You know what Jesus says, really, my eyes see everything. There was a lot happening behind closed doors in this community that was evil and ungodly, but Jesus saw it. We, we are see-through to God. There's nothing we can hide. You know, we might like to kid ourselves that we can, you know, do things behind closed doors and get away with it, or, you know, people don't know what we're really like, but, but at the end of the day, God does. He sees it all, and he's reminding the church of this. It doesn't matter what happens in the dark or in the secret. He knows. He sees. But I think when he talks about his feet, you know, in Scripture it talks about, and Jesus put Satan under his feet. And God's a God who stamps out sin. He wants to stamp out sin. And he's reminding this church from that from the outset that, that he's a warrior king, that sin is really not tolerable to him, and he wants them to uh, to stamp it out. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads some of my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, this isn't baby Jesus in the manger. This isn't Jesus teaching the Beatitudes. This is the resurrected King of Kings, the Lord, the captain of the host of heaven, the, the apocalyptic Jesus, the Jesus that rose from the dead. This is the real Jesus of today. Glorified and exalted at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power. So this isn't a manageable Jesus. This isn't the imagery that we normally put on our kids' Bibles. But this is Jesus. This is the Jesus we need to sit up and take notice of. And so there's this great pressure on the church from outside to join the guilds, to be part of it. And there was a, a, a great Christian man who came to Thyatira and his name was Tertullian. And the people cried out to him and said, but, but we must live. We must put food on our tables. We, we have to trade so that we can live. And Tertullian gathered them together and said, must we? Do we really have to live? Is it worth it to compromise, to join a guild, to be part of sexual immorality, to, to, to compromise the standards of God's? Do you have to live? No, it's better to die than to live that compromised life. Hard, hard words. But this was a church that had pressure from outside. But then we have this lady, Jezebel, who's inside the church, who's manipulating coercing people to, to participate in orgies and, and eat meat, sacrifice to idols. She, she's a piece of work, this lady. She's a real piece of work. And she was someone that the church ne really needed to watch out for. And as you study this, it, it's quite likely that Jezebel was the pastor's wife. Now, I know my wife is nothing like Jezebel. And her name probably wasn't Jezebel. But if you know your scripture well, there was a lady in the Old Testament 
Queen Jezebel, who married King Ahab, and she wasn't a Christian, she wasn't a Jew, and she manipulated her husband and brought corruption into the whole nation. And she killed all the prophets of God. And you'll remember the story of Elijah went and challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he said, you know, do your best. I'll show you my God is greater. Well, this was the lady behind all that. She was evil and cunning and manipulative and she had infiltrated her way into the very heart of God's church. She was a lady of great influence. Now, one thing I want to say first up, just because she had a title, she called herself a prophetess, is not God's stamp of approval just because you got a title. Okay, she was a false prophet and Jesus exposed her and she was going around sort of saying, but I'm a prophetess as if God was somehow saying, well, I approve. But he wasn't. He was dead set against this lady. And and, and we read from this that God was gracious. He said, I've given her time to repent. So somehow in her mixed up conniving, scheming mindset, Jesus had spoken into her heart and said, stop. I'm giving you time to clean your act up. And she refused. She was unwilling. So God was going to deal with her. And what that says to me is that I think sometimes we like to say if we're mixed up in things that are not right, we'll we'll get away with it because God's merciful and God's gracious. And it's true, he is. But we shouldn't test how long that grace and mercy is going to last for because Jezebel found out it doesn't go on forever. The scary part about this is that Jezebel was a this lady was a prophetic parallel of the lady that was in the Old Testament. So this same spirit that was working back in the Old Testament had manifested itself in this lady, in this context, in this church, which means it could happen in Catalyst. Someone could come along and begin to manipulate behind the scenes and you know get close to the leadership and, and pretend on the outside it's all wholesome and it's all good, but but underneath she's like a cancer. She's eating away at the church and she's you know getting into people's ears and manipulating and trying to, to dominate people. And the Jezebel spirit's dominant, it's intimidating, and it's manipulative. And, and it's it's something that we need to be aware of, that it can happen in churches. Because it happened in this church, and I don't think they probably planned to have it, but they somehow allowed this lady to get a foothold and a stronghold. In opposite spirit to Jezebel, God doesn't dominate us. He directs us. He doesn't intimidate us. He inspires us. And he doesn't manipulate us. He motivates us and leads us by the Holy Spirit. So we can discern the difference. The sad part is we have to be on guard. Not everyone that will walk through those doors is a good thing for Catalyst. There are people called sheep in wolves' clothing. And we hate to think like that, don't we? We, hate, we want to be a church that embraces everyone and loves everyone, but, but we need discernment and wisdom because not everyone that comes through is going to be healthy for this church. And so we need to be on guard. The point is that this demonic influence had maneuvered itself subtly into the position of authority where people were listening and following. And we've got to root it out. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. I really love the way that Jesus gave her time. But he's going to stamp on his enemies. He's not going to be mocked by this woman. And so he comes and says, well, I'll I'll deal with her. And her demise is going to send a message to all the other churches to clean the closet out 
to make sure you're living in truth and righteousness. It's a very sad situation, but it's not hopeless. You know, there's always hope in it because Jesus says, you've got time to repent. And those who are mixed up in her ways, I'll give you time. So, so clean up your act. That's the beautiful part about God, that he will give us a second chance. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to Jezebel's teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. We get a bit of a, an inkling or a gleaning into the way that Jezebel, this lady, operated. Because she would come around and she would say, hey, Jeremy, I know things about the spiritual realm and about God that no one else knows. I know deep secrets. So if you align yourself with me, if you come under my teaching and authority, you can learn those deep secrets too. That's a pretty perverted way to operate. Because there's nothing in scripture or in ministry that we can't teach other people. There's no secrets. That's what revelation is, is that for all men to know the truth of God. There are no secret, hidden, deep truths of God that Matt might know that I don't because God's revelation is for all of us. And so this woman was, uh, you know, putting people in this really awkward position where they felt like, oh, but if Jezebel knows these things and I don't, well, then I'll be a second-rate citizen. Maybe I need to get with what's happening over here. And so she manipulated very subtly. I reckon she was a really mean piece of work, this woman. Really, really nasty. But Jesus says to them, hold on, hold on to what you have. Some of them didn't listen. Some of them stayed with their doctrine of truth and righteousness and they didn't get perverted by her. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to make it any harder for you. Just hold on to what you have. Whatever it costs you to be pure and clean and righteous in Thyatira, hold on to it. Whatever it costs us in officer to be righteous and pure and doctrinally sound, and following the truths of God, hold fast. Don't get contaminated. Stick to the truth. Hold on fast. And then Jesus says, in return for your faithfulness, I'll give you three things. I'll give you the kingdom, and I'll give you the power, and I'll give you the glory. And this is how he explains it. He will give them the kingdom. The promise is that if we can control our lives in these evil times, if we can rule over our passions. Now, you imagine a whole group of people in sexual orgies. That would be attractive in some sense. And so there was these blurred lines between, oh, should I get involved and should I trade and should I compromise? And so, so Jesus was saying, no, you've got to rule your passions. When there's temptations and there's lures to go and be part of things that are ungodly, we've got to be able to rise above that and stay clean and pure. And Jesus is saying, for those of us who can do that, for those of us who can control ourselves, I will give you control of people in the years to come when the millennial reign of Jesus comes. So the man who can control himself in these evil times is the one fit to lead others when Jesus' kingdom reign begins on earth. Because if you can stand against the tide of evil now, you've proven yourself. You can prove yourself and God will give you the blessing to rule people in the future. The second thing he says is that I will give you power. I will give you a rod of iron. Now, one of the things that they did in Thyatira was make pottery. And to check that the pottery wasn't um, weak in any way, they would tap it with a metal rod. And if there were flaws in the pottery, it would disintegrate. 
And so Jesus is using that well-known imagery to say, there's a lot of people out in the world who are trying to break the church, coming against the church. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Jesus is saying, one day I'm going to give you authority to break them. The tide is going to turn. I'm going to give you a, a rod of iron and you will break to pieces like pottery. All those spiritual strongholds, all those people that have come against my church, one day you will have authority over them and you will smash them to pieces like pottery. Isn't that great? What a great time that will be when all the strongholds of this world are torn down. All the Jezebel spirits that operate, all the spirits of death and, and hell and and the church rises up and God says, you've been faithful, Brad. Here's a rod of iron. Go smash them. And we give the victory over all that is sought to bring this world to its knees. We'll rise above it. Praise God that day is going to come soon. And then lastly, I will give you glory. I will give him the morning star. And the morning star is a star that shines even in the daylight. You know that it has to be dark for the stars to be seen. But a morn, the morning star was the one that shines brightest in the morning, even when the sun was out. Now, there's a, a lot of scholars interpret, interpret this in a different way. But I think what God is saying that when we're in heaven, there'll be no sun because the glory of the Lord will be the light of heaven. But I think what Jesus is saying is that there's some of you who will shine even when my glory is shining. You'll shine because you remain faithful and pure. You'll be like that morning star that people will see your radiance, your purity, because you stayed righteous and true in these evil times. You rose above it. This, this was a tough letter. This was a tough letter because they had to do some house cleaning. They had to deal with this Jezebel woman. They had to clean up their acts. They had to make a decision whether they would divorce themselves from all the guilds. And that meant for most of us, it would mean we can't go to Woolworths anymore. We'd have to hand in our credit cards. We'd have to hand in our, you know, our telemachine cards. We wouldn't get checkbooks anymore. We wouldn't be welcome at the ANZ Bank. We couldn't trade. We couldn't buy. That's a huge call. And that's what Jesus was asking this church to do. But he was saying, look, if you're going to play with the fire of sin and evil, you're going to get burnt somewhere. It's going to roost. What you reap, you will sow. And this church had allowed this Jezebel woman to weasel her way in. So it says the leadership weren't strong because they didn't recognize it and they didn't have you know, the courage to stand up against her and, and tell her to leave or give her time to get her act right. So it's a lesson to the church leadership to, to, you know, to really assess what people's behavior is like and what their character is like and, and to test the fruit of their ministry. But it also says to us that if we're going to be like a Jezebel and we're going to have one foot in the world and one foot in the world and we're going to you know, play with pornography or we're going to you know, do things that are counter contrary to God, that, that God's not going to give us an endless rope. He's going to tug the rope in somewhere along the line and say, enough. And so when we come and we put ourselves under the word of God, we're really saying, God, show us what's in my life that, that's offensive to you. And God will do that and he'll do it gently and he'll do it graciously and he'll say, clean it up. It's not right in my sight. But then the choice is on us, isn't it? We've got to either decide, well, I'm going to ignore what God says like Jezebel did or we're going to say, yes, yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll deal with it. 
And the beautiful thing is that we know that God is faithful and just to forgive us. It's not complicated Christianity. God just came along and said, listen, this is, this is not the way I want my church represented. You're my spotless bride. Be spotless. Clean up your act. I think there's a lot of people out there that love God because they love his mercy and they love his grace and he's gentle and he's fatherly. And that's a God we can all embrace and we can all put our arms around our daddy God. But he's not just that alone. You know, he's a God that's going to judge the nations. He's a God that we're going to have to stand before and give an account for our lives. A lot of people don't realize that God is going to open the books, plural. We think because we're saved and, and we're forgiven that we're not accountable for our lives. I'm sorry, I've got news for you. You are going to be accountable for everything you have ever done and ever said. I don't know how that's all going to get played out with all the millions of people in the world and how God's going to do that. But he's going to come along and say, Mark, on such and such a day, I had to write this in the book because you weren't obedient to me. And I'm going to have to give an account for that. Now, at the end of my account, it's not going to be condemnation. But I'm still going to have to give an account for the works in my body. I think sometimes we think we're going to get let off the hook. It's all, it's all gracious. And it is because we're saved and we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. But, but God is still saying your lives matter. They count. And what you do with your time and the way that you live your life, you're going to have to give a report to me for that and answer for even the little things for the words that you said against people in church, for the way that, you know, stole or lied or whatever. The beautiful part of that is when we look into our judge's eyes, we're going to see a saviour. But a lot of the world is not. A lot of the world is going to face a God that says, I never knew you. You came to church, but I never knew you. I called you to live by my righteous standard, but you chose what you wanted and then left a whole lot out that was really important to me. And, and that's what this letter was saying. To the church at Thyatira, clean up your act. And for those who've been true and righteous, stay the course. Hang on to what you've got because it's a good thing. And the reward for hanging on is all these beautiful things. Sadly, we don't get those rewards till eternity. There's no payoff almost in the near future other than to know that God is well pleased with us. This was a hard letter for this church. I reckon there was um, some troubled times in the weeks and days after they received this letter, trying to deal with Jezebel. But we know from church history that they did clean up their act, that they were faithful to what God wanted. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a challenge to know that whatever we do, wherever we are, you see it. You know us from the inside out. There's nothing that we can hide from you. And Lord, your word says that your eyes go through and, you know, to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those who are righteous, looking for those who are obedient to you. And Father, I pray that when you look at us, that you'll find us as those ones with a heart after you. That we will be a church that is holding fast, even when there's pressure from outside in our society even when there's people within the church that whose theology has got warped and they're, they're compromising truth, that, Father, we'll hang on to your word. We'll hang on to the spirit of the living God and your revelation and your truth and we'll passionately and vehemently stand for what is right and true. 
Lord, that'll come with a cost. You've told them it would cost them greatly. But you also said that you would reward them greatly. And Father, we don't know. You could come tomorrow. We're in a school called Maranatha, which is Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would help us stand against the tide of evil in our nation to search us and refine us and mould us and shape us into men and women of God of great integrity and great character who bear great fruit from their life. We pray, Father, that we would be a church of apples and pears and bananas and nectarines and peaches where fruit is just manifest in our lives because we allow you to prune us and cut us back where we need to be challenged and, and convicted but Lord, we'll allow you to do the pruning so that we can be fruitful even more, so that the harvest of our life is something that you're well pleased with. Father, today, help us to, to reconcile with you where we stand today and to ask for forgiveness where there's compromise, to know that you are a jealous God who wants us to be righteous and pure, and you yearn for us, Lord, to come and clean our act up and walk in truth and righteousness and, and embrace the living God in all your wonder and glory and to walk this Christian life not with a limp, not with a stammer, not crawling, but running the race of God. Set free from all the constrictions of the ties of evil, to break the chains of the things of bondage and to walk free and powerful and righteous so that we shine like the stars in a world that is dark. Father, would you pour your spirit into our lives? Lord, would you not relent in chasing us to bring us to a place where we are right and pure in your sight? Because we want to be holy, because you are holy. Father, today, May we learn the lesson well from Thyatira. Not to compromise, not to drink the poison of a little bit of the world and think we can get away with it, but to be righteous and true and pure. Father, I thank you that you're a God who, who loves us so much. You are so patient with us. You're so faithful to us. And Lord, we... We just come afresh today and we just say, Lord, we're in awe of your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Father, that you've drawn us out of the miry clay. You came and you rescued us, knowing exactly what we were like, covered in the sin and stain of this world, and yet you loved us. And you've changed us and you've given us new life and new hope. Father, don't let us have cheap grace. Don't let us have cheap mercy. Let us value what you've done in our life and let us allow that to inspire us to go on for greatness with you in humility, in devotion to you. Father, I want to praise you today because you are the God, Son of God with the blazing eyes and the burning feet and the day will come when the trumpet of the Lord will sound and you're going to declare an end to sin and death. And I praise you, Father, that we're going to be found amongst those whose names are in the book of life. Lord, if there's people here today who don't know that they're saved, 
who don't know that their names are going to be called up yonder, that they're going to have a home in heaven. Father, give them the courage today to speak to somebody, to set their lives right. Lord, I give you the honour and the glory and the power today. It's yours. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And yet you're willing to share it with us. Lord, that blows my mind. That your Father gave it all to you and you were willing to say, Catalyst Church, I want you to share in the blessings. I want you to share in my kingdom. I want you to share in my power. I want you to be my glory on earth. Not tainted, not half-hearted, not cold, not lukewarm, hot for me, on fire, passionate, true disciples of the living God. When you looked at those disciples and you washed their feet, you said that they were clean, except for one, for Judas. Lord, I pray today that when you look at us, you'll say, you're clean. You're clean in my sight. And Lord, if that's not true of us, help us to clean up our act today and come back into your loving arms. Come back into right relationship with you, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jonathan.